If you are following along in the liturgy, obviously I am not Reverend Todd Hunter. My name is Jin Cho, and it is my privilege to give this teaching to you. We continue this morning on a theme of an unhurried Lent. And so far, we have seen how the constant barrage of noise distracts us, and how disordered desires confuse us, and how our ambitions can misform us from being present to the very ways in which the Spirit is leading us to live our lives. We turn this morning to what may feel like a very current topic of outrage as a way of engaging with the brokenness and the injustices of our world. But I want to suggest that the topic is far from merely trendy, but is reflective of how even a sense of righteous and holy anger can misdirect us from doing the real kingdom work of godly justice. Todd said earlier in the series that it is one thing to be present to a given day, but it is another to be driven by that day into an anxious hurry of the heart. And for many in our modern world, in our times, the driver of the anxious hurry of the heart is our encounters with outrage. Who among us have not felt outrage recently reading something that came up on our newsfeed or seeing something that was shared on social media? Pundits now describe an outrage culture driven by calculated sound bites, clickbait headlines, and clever hashtags, all meant to provoke moral indignation. And just when our emotions seem to settle down, something else comes up that begins, once again, the cycle. America is addicted to outrage, a recent Wall Street Journal op-ed declares. Is there a cure? In many ways, outrage is the defining zeitgeist of our times. Now, let's be honest. There are sometimes those little things that can trigger our outrage for which we really ought to know better, right? Can I get a sheepish amen if you have ever been triggered by something that you know that you probably shouldn't have? We know we don't have to get riled up by every little thing that someone says or does. We know that we can choose to be more generous in our approach to, to things that people may say or do in our hearts. We can choose to turn away from such things. Just don't is a legitimate spiritual practice for such things. Yet, there are many things in our world where outrage is the appropriate response. The right reaction. There is evil and suffering and injustice, both at the personal level 
at the level of systems and structures and where human callousness to the plight of others is truly scandalous. How then do we engage with such things? The problem with outrage, I think, as the driving force of our engagement with the world is that it actually misses the goal of doing the godly work of justice. Outrage places the focus on us, on amping up our emotional indignation rather than doing the patient, tenacious work of providing an alternative vision to the world of a just society given to us by a just and merciful God. In other words, too often, outrage has this parasitic effect of providing a sense of moral superiority by allowing us to claim distance from what we condemn, stifling meaningful dialogue with any who might possibly disagree with us, all the while fooling us into thinking that we are actually doing something simply because of our reaction, right? At least I am outraged. So our outrage can quickly become quite self-serving. But these aren't my greatest concerns as I was thinking about this, at least not for us. I think the most significant harm of our outrage culture is that it can lead us to disengagement. Whether out of fatigue or fear or desensitization, many of us disengage. And that really is a tempting option for us nowadays. We all have friends who have left Facebook or only post cat pictures because they got tired of trying to have meaningful dialogue about things in our world, right? I've had pastors tell me that they were fearful of bringing up topics like immigration or racial reconciliation into their congregation because of the level of emotions. It starts at 11, right? So we disengage. And sometimes we do need to step away. But this really cannot be permanent option for the people of God for many reasons, not the least of which is because disengagement is not an option for those who are the actual victims of pain and suffering and injustice. Our spirituality, I believe, is only meaningful and real when it is not an escape from the world, allows us to more fully and abundantly engage with it, all of it, all of it. In fact, our scripture readings today remind us that God's people are called to 
a different approach altogether. And looking at Micah 6, 8, we remember that Micah's ministry was in the context of an unjust society where the rich and the powerful were taking land and possession from the poor, using dishonest scales to cheat the people while bribing the officials and the religious leaders to look the other way. So after giving God's judgment on this, the prophet Micah then asked, on behalf of the people, then shall we do? What does Yahweh require of us? Which I think is similar to the question that we now find ourselves asking, how then do we engage the injustices in our world, if not just outrage? And Micah proclaims, be someone who does justice, loves mercy, and walks humbly with God. I love the question that is asked. What does the Lord require of you? When you look into that question a little bit more deeply, it isn't so much that word require isn't so much what does the Lord command of you? What activities or what things, what does God demand that you do? But rather, that word require is this thing of look for, seek out. So you could say this as what qualities, what are the character things in your life that God is looking for? Someone who is about God's justice that's deeply in their character, who's about God's mercy, and it is that, that critical word, hesed, that is used here that describes God's mercy throughout the Bible, and someone who walks humbly with God. So much can be said about why this is such a profound summary, but I want to just focus on how these three qualities are meant to go hand in hand. Not only justice, not only mercy, but a just mercy that can only be gained by walking humbly with God. In other words, you can't do God's justice without his mercy, nor his love without his justice, and they can only be formed in the context of a humble walk with God. It's spiritual formation. So it's not spiritual formation or justice. We're spiritually formed to be about God's justice and his mercy. Rather than our indignation being our guide, doing justice demands the humble and patient walk with God in spiritual formation. This means that our engagement with injustice does not come from a reactionary place, 
but from pursuing and being formed by God's vision of life, of right relationships between us and our creator, between one another and with God's creation. And this is the vision of reality that Jesus proclaims at the beginning of his ministry in Luke chapter 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery for sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, most scholars agree that the year of the Lord's favor is a reference to the year of Jubilee, the Sabbath year at the end of seven sabbatical cycles. So every 50 years, that is decreed in Leviticus 25, where slaves and prisoners are freed, where debts are forgiven, lands reclaimed, a time when the mercies of God are made especially manifest. But instead of saying, hey, that time is going to come in a couple of years, or that time is going to come this you know, after the spring or whatever, Jesus says to a stunned audience, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the vision of a new life, a new reality, a new way of living that Jesus says he ushers in. Something that is reinforced with us during Lent and the liturgical calendar. This is the new time. This is the new era toward which we journey. And he says, it is fulfilled today. Not when we die, not when we get the right emperor, but today with Jesus. This new era is where the poor, those who suffer injustice, those who are oppressed are not forgotten a place in which God's mercy reaches out to the furthest of margins, a place where the forgotten of our world are told that they are at the receiving end of God's favor. They're the first in line to receive God's favor. So which means that when we lean into that, as God does, when we look out for the poor, the marginalized, and care for the sufferers of injustice, we too are living into this reality. When we become captivated by the vision that Jesus sets before us, we start to begin to do the hard and the humble and the tenacious and the patient work of justice. And this vision is what drives us, not the reactionary moments. I mountain bike, and when you first start mountain biking, it can be a bit nerve-wracking because obviously the trails can be quite treacherous. You can be riding with drop-offs on the side that go on for way too far, or you can be riding on unstable ground, You could be weaving through trees. And what you are told at the beginning is to look where you want to go, not where you don't want to go. Simple advice, 
right? But it happens all the time when people see something they want to avoid, a rock that they want to avoid. I've seen people do this time and again. They will look at that rock, focus on that rock, and they will ride right into that rock. I've seen people do this with trees. I've seen people be scared of ledges and start falling off the ledges. It happens all the time. I think Jesus is revealing to us where we want to go. He gives us the vision of what we ought to follow. Outrage doesn't. Outrage focuses on where we don't want to go. And troubles often follow. This is the Easter vision that we are heading toward in Lent. So, what might it look like for us to be the people who are formed by this vision and live out justice and extend the peace of God to others rather than to live reactively by our outrage? Let me close with a suggestion for practice in an area that I am familiar with, race in America. A little bit of context. Some of you guys may remember that last year, after maxing out my time in the program, I finished my doctor of ministry degree. My wife was very happy about that. Um, my work was based on trying to help local church leaders engage in doing this work of justice, particularly as it relates to race issues in America. Just to simply bring the conversation about what's going on in our country and our society, that it seemed to me odd that this was such a huge issue that's been going on for us in the recent years, but that we were unable to speak into that. What would it look like, I would suggest? Well, after two years of doing this and hundreds of hours of conversation with tens of church leaders, I came to the conclusion that this was not going to yield any results in the foreseeable future. It was okay because I still got my degree. <laughs> but I did make some observations, and, I'm, and there was this one observation that actually took me by a little bit of a surprise because I went into it thinking, we need better conceptual framework, we need a better theology, we need to uh, do these such programs, we need to think about these kind of things. Instead, it was something else that I found to be primary in all of these, all of the ways in which people would actually begin to engage with others in meaningful ways. And it was this, empathetic listening of someone's personal experience of race in America, racial injustice. See, most of us, we're really good at feeling injustice that we experience, right? But I don't know why it is so hard sometimes to imagine somebody else's experience of injustice, but it's just true. There's this resistance, especially if the person is of a different race or gender, culture or age, 
their experience of harm, injustice, becomes harder and harder to relate, right? The more different someone is in general, the less empathy we give. And I think what we as the people of God bring to the table is the generosity of the heart and a sense of calling to God's mission to proclaim good news to the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, the sufferers of injustice. So I want to suggest as a practice that we sit and listen to someone else, to someone who is different from us, and listen empathetically with a generosity of heart to their experiences of injustice. Can I make an observation? And I don't know why I have to say it this way, but I've been thinking about this all night, dreamt about this in terms of, do I say this or do I not say this? As this, we are very white. I know you're looking at me, you're not white. It's like, you are my family, we are very white. And I want for us to make sure that we understand that correctly. This is only simply to say that it limits, as a congregation, it limits the type of stories that we hear. That's all that means. And that would be true for any congregation that tends to be homogeneous. I, would tell, I will tell you that my experience of America is probably different from many, many of yours, simply because I'm a person of color. And an issue, and I become aware that and an issue that might feel optional or irrelevant for me may not feel the same way to an African-American brother or to a woman or to a young millennial. But there is something powerful that happens. I think there's a stepping into this vision of the sort of society the sort of kingdom that God has imagines, God imagines for us, when we begin to pay attention to each other's stories that may feel divisive at first, but the one that we could step into and trust that Christ has the power to reconcile. I think this sort of sitting and listening is closer to what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are the peacemakers, rather than a description of somebody who comes in between a fight and tries to referee it. As people who come in peace, formed by this vision of Christ, extending the peace, justice, and mercy of Christ as we sit and listen to others, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. So how might God be wanting to form you with this vision in your life?